0: This is a music and arts podcast that sometimes veers into activism, but today it is definitely a music podcast, and uh, my guest today is Emily Cross, who is singing that song that played us in, which is from the band Loma, and the song is called Octillo, and that's from their album, new album, Don't Shy Away, which will be released October 23rd on Sub Pop Records. However, that single is streaming and available wherever you may buy songs like, you know, the iTunes and streaming on all the other platforms. Emily Cross uh, also is in the band Cross Record, which she did before Loma and continues to do simultaneously with Loma. She also has a fantastic podcast called What I'm Looking At, which we talk about during the show. It's a really great, unique podcast as well, and she's a death doula, and we talk about that as well, which is a very moving podcast. I don't. Know, it was very powerful and affected me greatly, and I hope it does uh, you as well. Uh, I would like to thank Becca from Sub Pop Records for putting this together and making it happen, uh, and that's really all you need from me. Um, all things Emily Cross and Loma will be in the show notes, links, whatever you need. It's there. Uh, I hopefully I can provide everything that you need. If not, email me and just say Dwyer, help me out here. And I'll respond, okay, what do you need? Uh, That being said, let's get into this episode. It's a really, really great one, and I'm honored to speak with Emily Cross. So please, enjoy. Thanks, not just only for doing this, but also because last night I had insane anxiety, and I put on your podcast... No way. I've been listening to it on my dog walks. It's very, uh, and I, but last night I was like, I'm just going to put this on and it will probably quell my uh, sense of Amazing. That's so, that's so good to
1: hear. And I'm so happy about that. Thanks for sharing.
0: I'm very fascinated by how that came about because it's uh, a very unique and it's great. I love it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It honestly just came about, I think it was, I think I was talking about Seinfeld and I was like, isn't it so funny that Seinfeld is a show about nothing. I should do a podcast about nothing. And then it, I don't know. It just came to me like, Oh, I'll just do a podcast about like looking at something. (laughs) And I did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was telling a friend about it the other day and he's a bit of a curmudgeon. And I was like, yeah, I'm listening to this great podcast. And he's like, oh, what's it about? And I'm like, well, she describes what she's looking at. And he's like, huh? And I was like, but I'm like, but there's, you know, more to it. Because it is, it's very abstract and creative and like also often very humorous. But it's like, it seems like quite the, to, you pull it off and it almost seems like most people couldn't
1: do that. That's- so nice of you to say thank you. That's like a <laughs> huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate that. I'm so happy you listened. That's great. I'm about to record one probably right after this.
0: So You could do one about my face and then you'll lose listeners.
1: I could. <laughs> do a little cross promotion situation. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: Not a bad idea.
0: How long have you been doing it?
1: Um, let's see. I took a break because what happened? I don't know altogether, probably about two years, but it's been, I think I did the first year, 2017. Then I took 2018 off. And then I started back in 2019 for some reason. I I don't know why I stopped. I just did. And then, yeah, now I've been going for a while again.
0: Yeah. I've stopped this podcast three times. Yeah. But then it's like, this. it's like addiction or something. It just like gnaws at you. Like, you need me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You need to look at something right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I really I really love doing it. I don't know why. And it's hilarious the emails I get. I get emails from, um, like, s- probably a handful of people every week. Like, six people email me every single week. And this guy, and, like, remarking about the podcast. And this guy, Carl he sends me my favorite emails. Um, but he will always like, cause I never know anything, um, about what I'm talking about. And I'll like have a question just off the cuff in in the episode. And then he'll email me like a five paragraph explanation about what my question was. And it's just like a whole rabbit hole. He's gone down. It's amazing. It's just, Yeah. I don't know. The type of people who listen to the podcast are really truly like my kind of people. (laughs) Is
0: is there any connection with your music listeners or has it found its own different world?
1: I don't think it is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, but like actually Dustin was telling me that I should, when I restarted the podcast, he was kind of giving me like some pointers and he was like, you should put like in the parentheses under your podcast of cross record and Loma. And so I've done that, but I'm not sure I've, yeah, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really market it or like shout it out ever. Like I, I don't ever talk about it. So I think the listeners that I have is just like kind of a weird group of people that I've had like the whole time. Essentially,
0: <laughs> Did you, I, I, be- don't know. I believe you suggested that some people could use it to fall asleep to, is that, was that one of the intentions?
1: i had no intention making it i thought it was a joke and i was just like this would be really funny and then um, i ended up just liking it a lot and so yeah and then people started telling me that they fall asleep to it and so i don't know i d- it just it's just kind of one of those things that just happened <laughs> <laughs> i don't know
0: <laughs> I know it's just it's Only a special kind of brain could keep finding creative things in like a a box of baking soda. I think it's the first one I listened to (laughs) or bicarbonate soda, as they say over there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But it's everything is fascinating. That's the truth of the matter. Like if you if you look at something enough for long enough, so many questions will just come into your mind like, about it about different aspects of it and like history and just like design choices or like i don't know it's just everything is just endlessly fascinating if you if you give it a chance
0: that's to me. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a great yeah because i feel like especially in our current society people don't stop to look at anything yeah and i f- that's true and I feel like i this sounds like old man stuff, but I feel like social media uh I've noticed my attention span and my ability to hold thoughts are less and i I despise it, so maybe I should start yeah. doing what you do just as like a mental exercise
1: maybe just for five minutes just sit there and zone out to something and think about different things i mean, I never did that before I started the podcast. I don't think, I think maybe I did it sometimes, but it is amazing when you, and that thing of like our culture now not paying attention, it's kind of like, I see it in packaging and stuff like that. Like advertising and packaging has always been like designed to catch your eye. But like, I think about that when I'm looking at things too, all of these, all these products are, just shouting to for your attention in different ways it's just really fascinating there's got to be a word for that like a like someone who studies that but i have no idea what it is like merchandising or something i don't know any i'm just rambling now but
0: does it affect the way you start seeing the world when you're just like out on the street you're like is it definitely
1: yeah i find myself like I'm meeting a lot of new people. Everyone I meet is new to me because I just moved here and I don't know anybody, but like, I think I wasn't, I wasn't aware of how I speak uh, before because my friends know me, but now that I'm hanging out with new people, I notice the things I say. And I think it's kind of bizarre the way that I like, to like interact with things and to talk to people about things, like my friend my new friend Charlie took me on a walk and i I realized that I was endlessly talking about like what kind of smells were around and like um the colors of things and like different fonts and I was like, what? this is not a way to socialize <laughs> like because <laughs> and I realized he was like really. Cu- he was really perplexed by my way of like interacting with him as a new person. I don't know. It is interesting. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just now that I'm here in a new place with, where I don't know anybody, I'm like, Oh, it is kind of different the way I look at things and talk about things.
0: Yeah. Do you, what, what, what prompted your move to the UK? Besides that America is crumbling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm a citizen here so i my dad is british and so i have a right to live and work here which is cool and so it makes it a really easy place to move obviously away from america uh my family's here and i just thought i was really attracted to a like a slower way of living um and being by the ocean, I also really wanted to live by the ocean so I could go swimming all the time, which I love to do. And so, yeah, it just seemed like a good move. I was done with Texas and seemed like, why not come here if I can? So, yeah.
0: And you were kind of like out in the middle of nowhere in Texas, right? Or were you in Austin?
1: No, I was in Austin for the past couple of years. I was living on the ranch where we, we recorded the uh the records that we made with Loma and then I moved like in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um so I in Austin.
0: I I I, I didn't know you had family. I didn't I thought you were from Florida or something. Or were you born
1: I am from Florida. Yeah, I'm from my so my mom lives in Florida still and so I guess I should say my dad's half of the family lives over here. So, but I've never really spent that much time with them. I've only met them a handful of times in my life. So I kind of felt like, well, maybe I should just come over and explore this side of my family and live in a village of 500 people.
0: It's that small, huh?
1: Yeah, it's so small. It's like I've only been here a month, and everyone, I know everybody, and everyone knows me pretty much. And uh, it's pretty nice, I gotta say. Do you, really do you like
0: find yourself drawn to sort of secluded situations? Cause I, I believe you lived in Mexico in a secluded when you worked, was on your first cross record or second.
1: Uh, no, just the recent one, the third one. Um, I didn't live there. I just went, I just asked Ben, um, my label guy from Bada Bing, Ben Goldberg, he, we were talking about a third record and I said, I really want to go somewhere else from Austin to write it and do the demo. And yeah, I don't know. I just picked Mexico because it's cheap and he arranged for me to go and stay there for a month and write my record. And so that's what I did.
0: <laughs> I just, uh, uh, now I'm flaking on his name. The guy from the microphones did that as well, but he went to Sweden. Oh,
1: Phil Alvron?
0: Phil Ulfram, yeah, because he did my podcast years ago, and he talked about, like, wearing all white, so he blended into the snow, and it was just really fascinating because it was like he didn't want to uh, sort of exist for a while, he, and he just was in seclusion wow. for this extended period of time, and it was, like, it was very fascinating and, and bizarre to me <laughs> at the same time.
1: Huh. Yeah, I think I probably tend to be most comfortable in, like, smaller secluded places, Uh Yeah, like, quiet places, I guess. I don't really like a whole lot of stuff going on around me. Um, So, yeah, I guess I I just like it better, and I can concentrate more and be more creative. Yeah.
0: Yeah, what... with the the new Loma album, because you both recorded them in the same uh, location, correct? Yeah, what, what, uh, was the approach drastically different? Because I know the first album you were recording a lot of the sounds outside, and which I found really mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, I was just interested in if there was a different approach.
1: Uh, it was different. I think I w- so the first record, I was living at the studio because I lived there for the first half of it. And then halfway through the record, Dan and I got divorced or we're going through a divorce. So I moved out. And so I think the first record I was there for more, you know, like I was actually there for like a lot of the ground floor kind of business. But on this one, I was actually on tour because I had just released a record in August, August, I guess a year about a year ago now. Um, and I was on tour a lot of the time they were actually writing it because it, it lined up weird. Like we were supposed to do it together then it didn't work out. Um, so the one, the way this one went was I was was not there for a lot of it. And then I came in to do a lot of studio time back to back. Like I think I was there for two weeks straight. And it was more of like a the boys showed me all the stuff that they did. And I said what I liked and what I didn't like. And then I changed a bunch of stuff and we all like, we rewrote it together essentially. And then we got to work on the vocals. And then I tracked like a bunch of clarinet and we brought in horns and stuff. So it was kind of more of a staggered uh, collaboration, I guess. Yeah.
0: It uh, Was it, uh, was it, challenge because i've worked with exes (laughs) Uh, was that challenging at all or was it like yeah
1: no dan and i get along great uh it actually wasn't challenging at all to be honest with you it might have been less challenging just because we're so comfortable with each other and there's not that weird thing where like we're walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. you know like not saying what we really think or something um I just feel so comfortable with both of those guys, and so I can really speak my mind for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> better for me, worse for them. Uh, <laughs> can you but,
0: can you be a little harshly direct?
1: Yeah, I think so. But in a creative
0: process, that's kind of neat. you can't. You, with the creative process, you have to, or otherwise you're going to make a yeah. big pile of garbage.
1: That's what I. That's what I mean by by. Uh, it being easier. I think, I think you're right. I don't think there's any room for, I mean, you can be polite. Maybe I can be a little more polite sometimes, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it's really easy because they don't, I think we're all pretty good at not letting our egos override that kind of thing. Like if someone says they don't like something we just kind of say, okay, well, what about it? Don't you like, what if we did this instead? What, you know, we get to the heart of the matter pretty quickly, which is really nice. And sometimes it is pretty rarely, but sometimes it is a type of thing where like two people are really passionate about one thing and and there's no um, agreeing and we just have to make a decision, but usually it's fine. And sometimes we're just all confused and that's fine too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but there is like in the middle of a process, you get confused and you just have to, you know, trust that you're going to find it somehow.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's usually when it just gets put away for a while and we don't listen to it for a couple weeks and then we come back to it and hopefully something. Yeah. We, we come to some kind of, uh, that's this consensus about it but right and you just sometimes will not oh, work out oh no, it's okay
0: I, I feel like i read or maybe i even saw you speak and say it but that, that you just sort of singing just sort of evolved for you it wasn't like a natural choice i was really fascinated by how it, it seems like a lot of um your life seems very zen <laughs> it's like like you just go from <laughs> you, things unfold for you and maybe that's because i'm i live in my head and i'm an idiot but um
1: um yeah I think maybe that's true the way that I came to singing was kind of I mean it wasn't an accident per se but I definitely did not see myself doing that for any sort of certainly not like in any professional capacity so that was interesting but I was I think I was 21 I was on a, a college work, not work exchange. Um, what what is that called? Um, it's like when it's like a study abroad program, essentially. But like people from there go to your school, um, and I was there for studio art. So I had like a art studio. I draw. I would do drawings and paintings, and that was my main thing that I was had always been doing and I made a friend there who's still my really good friend and he was writing some music and you know just laptop kind of thing he was just like hey will you I need a female voice for this song and I had kind of messed around with making music I, I was taking music class a minimalism class in college and so I had made like minimalism compositions I made like this really long weird um uh what was it it was clarinets and accordion minimalist composition. And I was kind of interested in like sound paired with visual stuff, but I was never ever thinking that I would do singing on like pop songs or anything like that, or so- like structured songs. And when Jimmy asked me to do that, I was very resistant because I was so shy and then I did it and I've, found out that I really liked it. And I started, when I was in Ireland, um, started making music on my laptop as well, which is really funny (laughs) (laughs) because I like, I didn't know how to do anything except for sing. So I would make all these different parts with my voice. And then I found a guitar there and I would do like one note at a time to like form a chord. It was just a really weird way to, to start working on music. But, um, yeah, that's how I started. And then it kind of snowballed out of control. (laughs) But did you
0: know you could sing? Because you have an incredibly beautiful and powerful voice to just be like...
1: Oh, thanks. (laughs) That's really nice of me to
0: say. uh, No, I I love listening to all all your music. I would love to hear the stuff that you were doing in Ireland, because that sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you still have it?
1: Uh, Probably on a hard drive somewhere, but I would... (laughs) Like, I would pop out of my skin if you heard that. I would absolutely pop out of my skin if, you, if anyone heard that. But
0: uh maybe it's maybe I'll, pure genius.
1: I don't think so. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be. But did you realize
0: um, how great of a voice you had or are you just like I'm just throwing these sounds out of my throat?
1: Yeah, I know. I didn't. I still kind of don't. I still kind of have imposter syndrome situation going on. Uh, I just really love to sing. I love it. I love to sing so much and it's just pure fun to me, pure joy. Um, And I do think I've improved over the years. So that's good and heartening. But no, I'd I'd never... I don't know. It's funny because I found a a journal from 1995 um, when I was like going through my stuff moving and one of the pages had a drawing on it. And it says, when I grew up, when I grow up, I want to be a singer. (laughs) And, um, I had like this whole audience behind me and like a microphone. And so I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just a super normal thing for a little kid to want to be, or maybe I've always kind of thought in the background of my mind. Yeah. I, I, I can sing and I do want to be a singer, but, definitely was not on my mind as any sort of possibility like I never thought I would sing in front of people on audiences and things like that
0: what was that like to transit to first going and performing for a crowd how how was that
1: oh horrible horrible <laughs> totally horrible
0: was the <laughs> Were you horrible because you were scared or you like somehow? Yeah. yeah.
1: both, both bad in every way. Um, I remember, gosh, because I truly just threw myself into it. I don't know what I was thinking. I was so, so afraid, but for some reason I just forced myself to do it. I don't know what I was thinking, but I think my first show, I, was at a place called Coles in Chicago and my friend Ben Babbitt was playing with me. And, um, I straight up hid behind a pole the whole entire time. And he would like, in between songs, he would look over at me and be like, get out. like <laughs> from behind the pole. And I truly thought I was going to die. Like, I didn't know how to make it through and I did, but then there was some other super embarrassing moments. Like one time uh, again with Ben, cause he was, he was in my band, my first kind of like ensemble or whatever. And we were playing a show at his, in his basement in Chicago. And I remember this, I was, I played just, I was horrible, just horrible. I was hiding again. And then, This was, like, right when um, Angel Olsen was kind of, like, starting to get popular. She was empathetic. Or maybe right before she was empathetic. I can't remember. But (laughs) we were hanging out in the kitchen. And I just remember, like, Ben um, and me were uh, next to her. And then I, like, turned away. And her and Ben were talking. And I just overheard her say something like, yeah, um, she has a good voice like that. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so horrible. I was so horrible. I was like, well, I'm not going to harp on, just keep harping on how horrible I was cause that's not fun for anyone to listen to. But, um, yeah. But you have to was, feel
0: much better about it these days.
1: I do feel a lot better. And I think it's mostly because I don't care as much anymore It's just, if I have a bad show, I probably thought it was a thousand times worse than anyone else would think it was. And it's just one show and it's just, it passes and it's, it's going to be fine. And I think that just comes with practice obviously, and just doing it a bunch and letting go of some of that insane anxiety that rests in your body.
0: Do do you feel like you maybe hard on yourself?
1: Oh uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just funny because you say these things about anxiety, and and the videos I've watched of you performing, you seem free and happy, and it's and the crowd seems to be pretty joyous too. It's just interesting that, but I think that maybe that's part of any good artist, and I would say you're a great mm-hmm. artist. That if you have, you know, you have to have self-doubt, otherwise you're going to become um, David Lee Roth.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nothing against, I, I like think, David Lee Roth.
1: Yeah, I do think it's, it is It is a specific kind of energy that actually might help performances when you do have that anxiety or like adrenaline. Uh, I was talking to my friend the other day about this. He, he was saying that, he's like a different person on stage. And I kind of feel this a similar way. And I think it's partially to do with that adrenaline. It just makes you do kind of crazy things uh, or be ways that you aren't in person. Like, I mean, in your everyday life, just walking around, but yeah, I I still suffer from pretty intense anxiety pre-show nerves type thing. And I think I was for a while, I've been sober for 4 years now. So I have had to kind of relearn how to get on stage and actually just deal with the nerves as opposed to just drink a couple of beers and that's been a whole other interesting challenge for me, but it's been really nice actually.
0: It's a different experience. I mean, I used to perform and I I probably could count on both hands how many times i did it sober (laughs) yeah i laugh not out of pride
1: (laughs) yeah no i feel you it's it it was definitely an intense experience to transition to that
0: especially if you were starting off in chicago which is where i'm from and that town fucking drinks
1: oh my god yeah and i was a bartender i was yeah i was working like two bar jobs it was just so normalized like I was drink. I was in Chicago, and also I was working at a bar. So it was just like, do you know Coles?
0: I was trying to think of where Coles. What I left uh, around two thousand, so I don't know. But where is Coles? It's
1: Coles was on Western. I'm not sure if it's there anymore, but it's just a dive bar. Um, but I bartended at um Shubas. Oh yeah, and I also bartended. You wouldn't know the other bar actually. But yeah, I bartended as she was.
0: What was the other bar, just for my own curiosity?
1: It was called I think it was only open for like four years, but it was called Barrel House Flat, and it was like a fancy cocktail mixology bar.
0: Oh, yeah. Not my not I like. I Coles is probably I had to oh I do I think did they do comedy shows at Coles?
1: Yes, they did.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, I do know Coles, because a lot of my friends performed there.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I think that was primarily what happened there, actually, yeah we, I like Coles <laughs> <laughs>
0: chicago though like it's just the un, probably one of the most unhealthy places it's a fun place to live, but i yeah I used to joke like the you know the old town Alehouse house in old town. Yeah, that I probably could have bought a house with what I spent in that fucking place
1: (laughs) oh my god well I think it's yeah it's just this especially in the winter like it's so dark and cold and dreary and it's just kind of like a bar with your friends getting drunk is the coziest nicest place to be and so I don't know yeah I drank a ton when I was there I think that definitely I went to college there so you
0: That's, Art Institute, right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty
0: pretty pretty great school.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. It is. It I, was really awesome.
0: Yeah, that, I loved it. And I loved going to the fine arts. hit the museum, then go to the fine arts for a movie.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm Yeah. I used to work at the Jeans of School. Oh, um, yeah? film center. Mm-hmm.
0: That's badass.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. I loved working there got to see a lot of weird movies like on real film and yeah i remember i saw um have you ever seen that film enter the void no oh <laughs> if you watch that just picture it on a big screen and you'll be like oh my god it was awesome
0: uh yeah because i used to live by facets which was a great did you ever go to facets multimedia it was like a really
1: no oh yeah i uh, think 14.
0: so. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they would get crazy obscure movies, and it was, it was the, I didn't even know what the fuck, I'd I'd walk in there and just see anything, and. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Was Cold on Fullerton, or was it on Western?
0: I feel like it was huh. on Western.
1: Yeah, I, because I remember taking the 49 bus there all the time. Uh, uh anyway.
0: Yeah. Was it at four o'clock or two o'clock? That was the, I worked at a four o'clock bar when I was in Chicago and that was just, that's just asking for death. And that's when you could still smoke in bars. So it was, oh my double, gosh. It was um, double death.
1: That the fancy cocktail bar I was mentioning was a 5am bar. Cause it was a, it was a, an industry bar. All of the industry people would go, go there after work and I would have to work until six in the morning <sighs> serving these already drunk assholes and like not getting tipped. And then I also at the same time worked at Whole Foods where I would have to be at work at like an ungodly hour as well. I don't know how I am alive after all that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Speaking of death, I am, I, I hope it's not a subject you've talked a lot about, but I am, I am a death obsessed guy.
1: Wait, are you kidding right now?
0: That I'm death obsessed?
1: No, that you're, that, Wait, I can't tell if you're joking. You know the work I do, right? Yeah, no,
0: that's what I'm transitioning to. Okay,
1: okay, good. I was, I was I was, thinking it was a really good transition, but then you said, I don't know, I hope you don't talk about death a lot. And I was like, "What does he, does he know that I do talk about it a lot?
0: Oh, no, I meant like it's a it's subject that you're tired of talking about is what I meant.
1: Oh, no, 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 not at all.
0: Because I dealt with a lot of death at a young age, so I, I feel mm-hmm. like my perspective is drastically different than a lot of... Like I, mm. not to get dark, but it's like I p- saw my dad die at a very young age. Mm. So that mm. I feel has d- put my, m- my awareness and of mortality, which I don't think a lot of Amer- Americans just think they'll just keep getting fat and live forever.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But, um, i'm just fascinated what drew you to that work and and the whole process because it's because mm-hmm. uh, i don't think we in western society in general think about death and mm-hmm. transitioning to it hi i'm gonna take a break from the conversation real quickly just to say if you can please subscribe to the show write a review, and rate it on iTunes. That will greatly help me. Also, if you really like the show and you want to become a bigger part of the Conversations with Matt Dwyer community, you can become a Patreon subscriber at uh, patreon.com slash conversationswithdwyer. And you can go to all things uh, Matt Dwyer. You can go to the themattdwyer.com and find links to social media, merchandise, and everything. I am solely an independent artist putting out this podcast. I don't have a network. I don't have a lot of commercial money. So word of mouth, telling your friends, writing about my show on social media, or rating it and reviewing it all help me greatly. Or become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash conversations with Dwyer. Now, let's get back to the conversation. (laughs) Drew, you to death doula. Is that phrase something you created?
1: No. No. No we're called death doulas or some people say end of life doula. Some people say death midwife, but I think I like to be called an end of life doula because death sounds, I mean, it is what it is, but to a lot of people over here, it sounds scary over here, meaning Western world.
0: What drew you to to the work?
1: Uh, I think I, I heard about the, the work on the radio, actually I was driving home, from the studio when we were recording with Loma and it was described as a non-medical position at the end of life. And as soon as I heard the words non-medical in, in conjunction with, with working with dying people, I knew that that was something I needed to explore because I have always been really interested in mortality and, um, you know the rights of dying people and i don't know i don't actually know why i i wasn't a person who encountered much death at all so i'm i'm not actually sure but i've always kind of been doing artwork and making music surrounding those themes so and i think for whatever reason i have a good disposition for people who are having a hard time and so something in me just knew that I would be well-suited for the work and that I could learn a lot from it and possibly help people. So, yeah, that's basically why I started exploring it. And after that, I got my, I got um, some training and volunteered for hospice and figured out that I really did actually love the work when I did it, um, you know, in, in a more hands-on type of way. And then I started my business and, uh, yeah, it's just been going ever since.
0: So are you with the people when they actually die?
1: Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'm hired just to help them with paperwork. Uh, sometimes they don't need me to be there for, you know, the whole time or for, for, for the, for the actual death. Um, Some people just hire me because they have anxiety about death. Some people hire me because they, yeah, I wanted to do paperwork and logistic, logistical things. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but logistics. Um, But yeah, I am often with the people when they are dying. And that's what I really love to do.
0: Have you, is there sort of a common way people think as they are headed towards death? I'm always, I've just always been curious about that. Like what, what are, do you start focusing on specific things or?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, of course it's different for every single person. Some people do have a lot of fear and a lot of unresolved conflict. So that kind of gets in the way of the process in, a, in, a like a natural way. Uh, natural. I mean, that is natural in a, a more unencumbered way. Um, and then, of course, some people have dementia and things like that. But I think people do start going more inward and definitely stop caring as much about... I mean, it's kind of what you would expect. They stop caring as much about their material things or and, and start focusing more on relationships and um, seeing people that they love and, and telling people how they feel before they die. Um, and, and a lot of worry happens as well. A lot of kind of more practical worries, like a lot of people have a lot of anxiety about, you know, I've paid this specific bill for the past 20 years and no one knows how to like log on and do it the same way, like, you know, little tiny things like that, or like that they're worried about other people being able to take over responsibility for, and that's also part of my job. I just make sure that all of those things that get in the way of the real kind of more heart centered work can just be, you know, swept by pretty quickly. So, um, Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no,
0: I'm just, I'm fascinated that somebody would fixate on a bill. Like, to me, that's like, yeah. are you just, you're just grasping still at mortality.
1: Exactly. Uh, that's what's happening. Um, that's exactly what's happening. They get worried about tiny little things like that. Um, until the, I mean, again, it's different for every person. But right at the end, normally, it's just a lot of self-focus, um, a lot of people just stop talking and just want to touch. Um, yeah, touch is so important at the end of life for people. It's kind of the last touch and hearing. So the last like important thing. Um, a lot of people actually start to hear people who have already died and claim to see people who have already died in the room kind of kind of, uh, beckoning them, which is super interesting to me and to a lot of people. There's whole books on that. It's just fascinating, isn't it?
0: It is. I, I have you ever seen anyone who has been completely ready and open and accepting that they are dead or about to die? I, yes. How do yes. are they at peace
1: with it? Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I mean, that's fearless.
1: Yeah. I would say, I mean, most people that I've been with, actually, at the end, I'm so sorry. I think that's Becca. I
0: I I thought maybe that was the Hotel Bellhop.
1: (laughs) No. Um, Most people that I've been with have actually been ready and good. I think once they get all of their earthly worries out of the way, they don't have to worry about what's going to happen to the dog. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen to that bill. If they, if they can be reassured that everything is fine, everything's taken care of, you don't have to worry about these things anymore. You are, you are dying. Focus on that. Then it is a great, a great level of acceptance that happens. And some something happens in your brain. I mean, it's like the body knows what to do. Obviously it's, it's designed to die. And I do, there is this calm that happens and yeah, most people that I've been with have just kind of slowly gone away and it's been kind of beautiful to be honest. So I think it's, That is obviously, like, not a luxury that everyone has to die a peaceful death surrounded by family and have time to say what you need to say and that kind of thing. But if you can, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I remember George Harrison saying when he heard Lennon got shot and killed that he was most upset because John didn't get to prepare for it which is really what resonated with me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Some people say that. And then some people say, I just want it to be quick and not know what's happening and like get hit by a truck or something, you know? Um, But I think for all parties involved, getting a chance to say goodbye and close some doors and, you know, get prepared is to me an ideal way to go. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I Oh, sorry. No,
1: I, I'm
0: I just think about like the things that um, I would re- I like I've had a couple moments in life where I thought I was going to die. So you start, th- mm-hmm. um, but like, I'm thinking like, but now it's like, if I found out I was terminally ill, would I have f- guilt? Would I have shame? Would I feel a need to, cause guilt and shame are my, Two themes of my whole life, <laughs> but, yeah. mm-hmm. but like, what would I want to address? What would I want to be c- clear with and, and, and clean my conscience of do it? Does everyone feel, or do a lot of people feel like I got to clean up my, my past so I can go into the next thing?
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's part of the reason I, I do this other thing called a living funeral And it's for, it's basically a a meditation on mortality. It's a ceremony for anybody at all. And they don't have to be dying. I mean, we're all dying pretty much, but um, it's it's based on this like South Korean uh, ceremony that I saw on a documentary. And theirs is geared towards more suicide prevention because they have such an intense like work culture there. A lot of people commit suicide and they've kind of come up with this mock funeral situation where they put all of their workforce into a room with all these coffins and they write their last words and they get in the coffin and actually like role play being dead. And I saw that and I was completely fascinated by it and I loved it. And I couldn't find out how to do one in the States. Um, Surprisingly, no one was doing it. And so I, I started doing it. And so I've guided like hundreds of people through essentially like a fake death um, but in a, in a kind of more intense way than just thinking about, oh, I could die tomorrow. They go in a room, they have, what's, what I tell them is their last piece of paper. They're like covered in a shroud and they like lay dead their whole, I get them through this whole body shut down. And that's the idea exactly what you just said, kind of getting out, role playing. Okay. If this was actually my last day, what do I need to put on this piece of paper? And all sorts of insane things can happen after you do that. I mean, if you really take it seriously and write that, write those things down, it can set off a chain of events in your life that will completely change your life. It's incredible. And, um, yeah.
0: Do you have any personal thoughts of what happens to us after we leave this earth?
1: I don't. I don't know. I don't know what happens. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: mean, I don't really think anybody does, and that's probably why it's so... I am sort of under the assumption that uh, then it's done. There's nothing. But, But I also know I don't know a goddamn thing.
1: Right. Well, that's kind of how I feel. I I just don't think that anyone can know that, even if they've had a near-death experience. I don't think anyone who's still living can truly know what goes on, if it's nothing or if it's something. And I think that's really cool. I don't know that I would want to know. I just think that it's something neat that we can think about and wonder about
0: do you does dealing with so much death lend yourself to have a more fearless or embrace the moment uh, way of approaching life
1: definitely one hundred percent it's it's changed my life definitely um, not that I'm not you know afraid of things i just I just don't let the fear get in the way of what I want to do ever pretty much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and also I believe in like having patience and waiting for things, but it's kind of maybe a more impatient person. I feel like I just like, don't have any, I don't have time to not do something. If I want to do it, if I, if I have an idea, if I want to go somewhere or do something, I just, I just figure out how to do it and do it because you never know if you're going to have that time tomorrow. But then sometimes I think, well, if you die, then it won't matter anyway. So whatever. But <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> Basically I just do what I want. I just do what I want and it's fun and I have a happy life. And I understand that's a completely privileged thing to to say, but like, it's just true. It's, it's the truth of my life right now. So I'm really fortunate.
0: Yeah. It's weird. Cause one of the times I got hit by a car on a scooter and like literally like flew through the air. And, and I just remember like, oh. I didn't have anyone, what bothered me the most, uh, once I realized I was alive is that I didn't have someone to go home and hug and to love.
1: Oh yeah.
0: And, um,
1: yeah.
0: but then I did, you know, I do have great, so I shared with my friends that like i but then and then you're in my head i'm like i'm always going to have this attitude towards life and then of course life has its way of yeah filtering that shit out <laughs> and then you, yeah. get, you go back to but it's like hard to remember to, that like yeah none of it does matter like
1: yeah it's and true you,
0: and once that clicks in your head it's like you know you t- tell the people that you love that you love them yeah because you may Definitely. never get that chance again and it's cl- sounds cliche but it's the fucking truth
1: it's the fucking truth and maybe that's the biggest change that i've had in my life just like saying things to people because i am kind of one to hold things in sometimes and just you know not want to bother people with something or like too shy to say something to someone or but if you want to say something to someone, if you want to express anything to someone, if it's going to make a difference in your life or their life, just do it. I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest change that I've had, just, appro- you know, approaching relationships in that way.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I want to thank you very much for your time. And, and I'm not just saying that because we're all going to die someday. <laughs> 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 and i love you and are you oh i are,
1: love you <laughs>
0: uh,
1: th- thank you so much
0: thank you very much for listening to conversations with matt dwyer do me a favor subscribe to the podcast remember to rate and review it and if you like become a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash or conversations with dwyer also Listen to my friend's podcast, Hunk by Mike Bridenstine and Kill Gallen's Pub with Joe Kilgallen. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you again.